the Grit Podcast. Welcome to the Grit Podcast, the podcast that motivates and encourages you to become the real man you're destined to be. Forecasting live in the rugged Northwest, just east of the trailblazing city of Portland. So let's get locked and loaded because it's time to get gritty with it. Here's your host and lead grit man, Jamie Worley. Uh, I'm glad you're on. I would not rather have anybody else for my number one first ever guest appearance on this show or any show that I'm having to do with than you, my dad. I appreciate that. I don't know how I deserve that honor except being your dad, but I do appreciate yeah, right. it. I will well, you have earned it. Well, I don't know about that either, but I sure appreciate the sentiments. <laughs> I sure. Did you watch this? You watched the Super Bowl. We never, we didn't talk no. about this. We usually talk about. Yeah, the Super Bowl was a good Bowl? game. That was one. Of the, I wasn't expecting it to be such a good game. Who were you going? Well, for? I thought Philadelphia had the better team, but I also, mm-hmm. and I told people this. I think Kansas City, the la- only two games that I see them play. It was the last two games before the Super Bowl, just to get an idea of what the teams were. But they just seemed to find a way to win. And nothing to take away from Philadelphia, but Kansas City just came through again and found a way to win. I thought Philadelphia had the better athletes, the much better quarterback, who I really liked. And I was pulling for Jalen Hurts. But uh, Patrick Mahomes is also a good man. I mean, uh, his principles and his ethics – I just hold him in high regard as well. So it boiled down to the teams. And and really, I thought that Philadelphia had the better athletes, but that intrinsic value that Kansas City brought to the table was, we're going to find a way to win. And they did. I mean, it was amazing. They did. Now, you know, I'll get to Jalen Hurts in just a second with you. Okay. I take issue with you. And I don't Hurts. care. And you don't know that. I know you don't care, but you're going to hear about it. It's my show. Okay. okay. We'll get to that in a second. But so at the end, I was pulling for Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, for Jalen Hurts played at OU, right. obviously. Uh, so that's, that was the main reason why. I think Patrick Mahomes is great. But I thought Philadelphia also had the better team overall. I mean, they got an all-star just about every Yeah, position. they do. You really couldn't put together a better team. Mm-hmm. But Kansas City does have that it factor of with, especially with um, Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey, Kelsey yeah. tied in. He was amazing. You know, he, you know, he's getting it. He's open. He's always, always open. open. Always open. And they know it. Don't know. He's, and they know he's coming. Well, and they still don't guard him. I, I don't understand. The, he's the. I think him and Gronk are probably the two best tight ends in history. I'll probably get a little bit of flack for that. But I, I look. Anyway, so, but at the end of the Super Bowl, there's this questionable call. Yeah. The pass interference call. Did you, have you taken a close look at that? What's your opinion on that? I don't think it was interference at all. Well, he had him by the jersey. (laughs) That was just, that was not that bad. (laughs) Not that bad. No. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking here's my take on I'm thinking the one where he was going down and out on the left side of the field down there. Is that the yeah? And the ball that? was overthrown, and they threw the. It was in the last drive. Yeah, and that penalty set it up for the field goal, the winning field goal. Yeah, it did. Okay. I, I did. So I would not. He goes around, not based on all he, the other. Players. He tugged. Now he tugged his jersey, and the ball was overthrown. He wouldn't have caught it anyway. Yeah. 
wouldn't have caught it anyway. I mean, Randy Moss wouldn't have caught it anyway. Right. Okay. It's overthrown. They throw the flag. And here's my thing. It was a good call technically. He he grabbed his jersey. You can't do that. But here's the thing. Go back and watch the game. They were doing it. Both sides were doing it all game long. And that's why. And in this moment. And that's why I said I wouldn't call it because of what happened the rest of the game, the way they allowed them to play. I didn't understand it. Why did they make that call? They hadn't called it all game. I know. And really, it did not impede his progress. It did not slow him down a bit. No. Even if it had. It was overthrown. He could not have gotten to it anyway. You know, I didn't pay attention. Nonetheless, I didn't pay attention to that part. I can't say yes, yeah, it was none, or no, it wasn't. Nonetheless, I think Kansas City goes down the field, kicks a field goal to win anyway. Yeah, maybe they had a lot of time, but, but but let it let it play out like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a good call. Over. I mean, it was the it was technically a good call, but it was a bad yeah, call. Yeah, bad timing opinion. for a call, and it was a call that would not have been – I don't think it would have been called in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. That hadn't been called. It wasn't. It hadn't been. No, it hadn't been. Okay. So so let me let me, let me me get to what something I really take issue with you with. Okay. okay. Yeah, I know I brought you on this show. This is my show. Don't you forget it. And you're going to hear about this. Don't you forget that. And you do have to come home. I am home. Okay. I'm a grown man now. I don't have to go back <laughs> yeah, to your yeah. home. Okay. All right, so where did Jalen Hurts play football? Alabama, beginning. That's my point, and that's what I want to get to. That's what this podcast is really about today. Okay. It is about your hypocrisy <laughs> in college football. Teams. You were born in Alabama, yep. right? Okay, no problem. You went to college over by Clemson, yep. right? We grew up in Georgia, yep. so we lived in Georgia. Yeah. Then we moved to Oklahoma. Yep. <laughs> Your daughter and my sister went to Oklahoma State yep. University. I'm a University of Oklahoma diehard yep. fan. Okay. By my count, and I've seen the shirts. This is not speculation. <laughs> and you're going to answer for this live. You have five college football teams you pull for. You pull for Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State University. Yes. How do you sleep at night? How do you live with yourself? I live with myself because all I have to do is live with myself. I don't have to live with any of the rest of you dudes. I have to live with myself. And so if whoever my team, these teams are playing, I watch the team uh, in my own mind, in my level of, uh, of of love for those teams or lack of it, if, depending on who they're playing. I just watch for a good game. And I really don't care who wins. And I really don't care who wins. And I really don't care who wins as long as it's a good game. I do not want games to show up like the college national championship did. That was not a good game. And and I was pulling for the Big 12 because we're in the Big 12. Or the SEC. Or the ACC. Not yet. Which one? Not yet. We're not. But we will be. Your Georgia and your Alabama team is in the That's SEC. Right. That's right. So, so let me ask you this. On any given college football season, where do you lose? You have five teams. Isn't that a pretty good position to be in, Jamie? 
Yeah, it is, and I'm jealous about strive, it because so I can't. You should strive to get into that position. I can't do it. I, I you, you can't cheer for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. You can't do. I that. don't like that. It. You can't cheer for Georgia and Clemson. You can't. Do yes, that. I can. You can't. No, you can't cheer for Alabama and Georgia. You can't do just that. because you, that is sac. You know, in Georgia, that's sacrilegious, yeah. and you'd be you'd be hung, right? Okay, you'd be ostracized. You'd never sell another another estate plan in your life. I don't care. I, I don't care. I, I don't care. Well, it's what I want to do. It's my you don't it's care. my it's my enjoyment, and and that's all that I'm typically worried about when it comes to a football game. And I like having conversations in Georgia and in Alabama and in Oregon and in Kansas. And because Josh went to Kansas State, if you remember. But I don't support Kansas State. We're not pulling for Kansas. No. (laughs) You you can't go any further north. Come on. No, no. You've already got five. You've already got five teams. But at this point, it's like having kids. You got five kids. What's six? I mean. Yeah, but just because everybody else says I can't do something. I don't. I don't play by those rules. Well, what rules do you play by? I play by the rules. Do you play by any rules in law? Do what? Say the, what rules do you play by? Everybody plays by rules. I play by rules. Which ones do you play by? But I play by you my rules Satan. because it doesn't hurt anybody else, and it does create hate and discontent sometimes by other people. <laughs> but if they can live with that, I can live without it. <laughs> so. So you're okay with creating hate and discontent within your own family? I don't create five football. Teams. I don't create it. They create it on themselves because they disagree with what I'm doing. But this is a free country. I get to do what I want to do as long as it doesn't physically harm someone else. So you believe in free speech? I do. So you can say all you want to, but you got to let me have that same freedom of speech. I, I believe well, I I in the, your college teams. Don't I have the freedom? Don't I have the freedom not to give you that freedom? No, not today. Not yesterday. You might tomorrow, the way things are going, but that doesn't mean I will accept uh, it. Hey, so let me ask you this about stuff. So was the was the the balloon, the Chinese balloon over Oklahoma at all? I don't think so. I think and it I, skipped Oklahoma and went more across Kansas. And, and back into there, but I don't really know. So do you think that's because there's nothing of value in Oklahoma? Probably so. <laughs> Not militarily valuable anyway. And that's just right. assume that's they right. stay out of Oklahoma. If they come through Oklahoma, there's some, I don't know if I'd call them nuts or patriots, because they're not all the same, would have shot that balloon down like those guys in uh Montana was thinking about doing those guys in Montana. They shoot they're They target practice on mile, tar, mile away targets. I know. Right? Yeah. It's five miles was, high, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was thinking to myself when I saw the, the balloon, not in person, yeah. but you know, I was watching the news and I was watching this. I thought, God forbid that thing fly over one of the redneck communities we grew up in. <laughs> There's going to be bows and arrows. These guys, a lot of these folks aren't real bright. Right. Uh, I, I could see arrows flying through the air like a bunch of villagers exactly. trying to trying to capture something. That's exactly. You know, but yeah. So, well, but speaking of the South, you grew up. You were born in Alabama, right? Yeah. 
did you always know? Because there's some th- we're gonna get to this, but there's some things you didn't really know about your childhood and about your family. Yep. Did Did you know early on that you were born in Alabama? Oh uh, yes, I believe I did. I, I've always known that I was born in Alabama, and then okay. shortly after that, we moved to Georgia. Um, I never did know a dad other than the dad that I knew growing up, and he was my daddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have a biological yeah. sperm donor uh, because my mom wasn't married and she got went through a divorce with her husband. And uh, my biological dad uh, is a fine man. Everybody makes mistakes and th- that we do things that we're embarrassed about. And I don't hold that against them at all because I'm glad it wasn't today because today I might have been not here uh, with things that are going on. But uh, but. My biological dad comforted my mom and James arrived. And I'm just real pleased that they did that. And Miles, my father, uh, the one that raised me, uh, he was there. And it's the only one I knew till many, many, many years later. Yeah. yeah. I could tell you that story if you have time, but maybe another time. Yeah, you know. let's hear it. Well, I was in the... Well, give me the... give me the, Yeah, give me a version. Give me the cliff notes. I was in the Navy... Yeah, I worked for the commander in chief, the Atlantic Fleet, crypting, decrypting messages uh, on a uh, up to a secret uh, classification. Uh, we were playing war games, and the guy that was doing the top secret special category clearance type stuff got sick, had to go away. The captain asked me, "Could I do it?" And of course, I said no, because if I said I could, I'd get a free vacation to Kansas. You know where that is, Leavenworth. Leavenworth. Yeah, so I did not answer to that question until he said, would you try? And I said, yes, I will try. And I got busy and I worked on it and I figured it out. And if I hadn't done that, we would have had to take 35 or 40 ships and go home. Or they would have had to find someone somewhere else and get them in, fly them in down there to do that job. And so it was the, it was the answer to the situation at the point that we had the situation to arrive. I've kind of always prided myself on working on in that kind of uh, environment. Uh, situation's always the boss, as you've heard me say a lot of times. But anyway, uh, they started doing a background check. They couldn't find where James Worley was born in the United States. No history whatsoever. Not even in the city and the county that I was born in. Well, wait a second. That that's a perf- that's a perfect uh, segue to a CIA agent. Yes, it if they is. Can't find yes, it is. I made some so mistakes. You could have gone international spy. Say that again. You could have gone international spy from there. Yeah, well, they actually thought during that time the Cold War was going on, and evidently there was a process where other countries would implant people under false pretenses and get them to a high level of of, of authority or uh, or clearances things like that for their benefit. And that's what they thought initially was what I was. They finally cleared. So they thought maybe they thought maybe you were a plant. Yeah. Like a spy. That was one of their thoughts. That's but through the investigation, I grew up kind of poor and out in the country. And when they started doing this investigation, everybody in my little county down there in Georgia thought, yeah, he's done messed up now. FBI is after that boy. I wonder what he's done. (laughs) It was just a matter of time. We knew that. Yeah, guy that's, school, that's how it goes in, in the towns. 
And uh, yeah, I checked out. So when I was being, once they found out that I was really who I, that I'm really not one of them and, and found out what the truth was, uh, they started to put me through uh, declassification uh, or, or they started mustering me out of where they were keeping me at that point in time. And the lady there uh, looked at me and she says, you have no idea what's going on, do you? I says, do I look like a deer in the headlights? She says, yeah, you do. She said, you have no idea. I says, no, I don't. She says, you don't know anything about your dad? I said, well, yeah. I grew up. She says, no, no, the other dad. I says, no. And I says, so wait a second. Wait a second. How old were you here? I was 18. When you Navy. found out about this. I was in the Navy. So you were 18 in the Navy. Working the investigators are researching you. Yep. And they think that you might be a spy. So they're really digging deep on you. Yeah, they are. And they find out. They're the ones who find out you had a biological dad that you didn't know about. Yeah. And they're, they're the ones who informed you of this? Yeah. Well, not officially. Officially, okay. I was informed because this lady said, well, uh, you don't know that you had a, another dad other than the one you grew up with? I says, no. I said, we can't, but you do. She said, well, it did come to surface. So we found out about it. And, uh, and I said, well, can I have that information? She had a file folder there. And she says, no, it's in this file folder. And it's not, you're not allowed to see it. And I said, well, that's not fair. You know, why can't I know it's my situation? It's not top secret to the government. What's it going to hurt? She says, I'm just not, a, I'm not allowed to tell you. She's in this file folder right here. It's got to stay in this file folder. So she said, would you excuse me for a minute? And don't you touch that file folder. She says, I've got to go pick up something over there. She goes over there and I'm sitting here thinking, well, I'm not dumber than a bucket of rocks. I wasn't born last night. Well, it might've been last night, but it wasn't exactly last night. So I grabbed a piece of paper and pencil and I copied down the name of the gentleman and his, uh, his address. And I stuck it in my pocket. She come back. She says, are you okay? I says, yeah. She says, do you have everything you need? I said, I think so. And so she says, well, good. Uh, going back to your duty station. Here's where you, here's your orders and go on back. You're, you're good to go. And so I, so you, you picked up that she, you picked up that she was saying, yeah, yeah, she was inadvertently giving me permission. No, she did not give me permission. I can't say that. I went in there and yeah. I stole that information. If the FBI's listening to this, want to chat, wants to challenge it down, I'm right here. I'm not running away. I took it out of that binder and I followed up on it. She had nothing to do with it. Yeah. I will stand on my own okay. bears. Yeah, you will. Or deep you will. And I'm gonna in fact I'm gonna I'm gonna contact the uh the the armed services as soon as we're done here and i have video recorded proof you. of you admitting to what no doubt i think was probably a crime i think you should pay for that don't you well i tell you what just come on i'll just tell them they don't need a recording i'll just tell them uh, sir sir are there any guns in the home yes okay we're just gonna let this one slide <laughs> because uh you know i know for a fact you know how to use each and every one to their fullest potential yep. <laughs> And I don't. All right, so you I have to throw my bullets. No, you don't. No, you don't, Barney Fife. You just keep one in your pocket. But so you found this out. You're 18. Did you say anything to uh, Grandma or uh, Grandpa Miles? No. Did you say anything to them about it? No, 
You just kept it filed away. I just filed. I, I I said, Mom, can do you want to talk about? It? She said, I don't want to talk about it. I respected her position, mm. and I I knew that in my heart that that was a hurtful part of her life. I knew that through her life, not being rich people and working textile meals, sewing and doing things like that for menial money. Uh, she went through a lot just to keep me and to raise me and to take care of me. And I was satisfied with that for this, for this time. I gave her that respect. I did not push it. I knew a lot of people told me, says, no, you need to push it. You need to find out. But that was their opinion and not mine. I always stand on well, my I, opinion. <clears throat> yeah, but but even so, and that's a good thing. That's that's good. But wasn't there something inside of you pulling you, constantly nagging you about, man, who is this? I'm wasting time, losing time with knowing who my real dad is. Wasn't there anything in like that just kind of nagging at you constantly about that? Or was it just, hey, it's done. Uh, I'm going to respect mom. I'm done with it. Or you could do that, but was it also nagging at you? It was not nagging because I, I knew what the situation was. I knew how it would affect my mother. I knew how it would, might affect the rest of the family. And I could be, I could be uh, the thorn in their shoes, the thorn in their lives, and and that wasn't necessary. And so I made the decision that I'm not going to chase that rabbit because it would affect them, potentially in a very negative way. And I think it would have affected my mother that way, because she had done something uh, that she wasn't proud of. Things happened, and uh, and so. She didn't want to talk about it, and I wasn't going to put her through that. She, Her mental health and happiness was more important to me than the nagging I had going on in me. And it wasn't very much because I tried to understand her position and live my life yeah. so that I would be honorable to, my, to her. Yeah. So and you grew up with three brothers and two sisters, right? Uh, well, four brothers and two sisters. Did, did I miss that? Four brothers. Four brothers and two sisters. Yeah. And you were the oldest. I was the oldest. And you played, let's see, you played football in high school. Yep. There's something There's something about a standing school record that I recall. What was that? Uh, oh, I remember the only player to have sat the bench all four years of high school. Was that, was that your record or, or am I thinking of somebody else? You must be thinking of somebody else. So, so tell us what is what is the record you you held a record, and I I think you said maybe it had been broken once since you had it. What was that record? Tell us the story about what happened on that fateful Saturday. Well, in Franklin County, Georgia, it might have been a Friday night for high school games, but it was a it was a oh, game, yes. and and uh, the quarterback was coming around. They were on the three yard line. They were going to score and beat us. They're on. They were on your three-yard line. My three-yard line. Quarterback comes around. Okay. I'm hitting the, the tackle that comes out to hit me, and I'm shucking him and just holding on to him because I want to close that hole up that he might go on the inside but not let him get outside. And so I kept yeah. kept it there, and as the quarterback moved, I'd either move him back in to keep him from going in or let him drive me on the outside as I noticed my, my tackle. I was playing defensive end, play-by-play uh, play description here but i've lived that moment yeah. for a lot of times but anyway i see the quarterback and i knew the halfback was going on the outside this was going to be a lateral and so i shut the guy 
went for the quarterback. He pushed, he pushed it. I knew he was going to do it. I lifted one hand out, caught the ball in one hand on about the three yard line, and I scooted. Now it, t- it takes me 15, 20 seconds to run 100 yards, but that night I made it without anybody catching me. <laughs> you ran a 6 3 in the 40. <laughs> no, I'm I wish. Well, you, but hey, but listen, you outran everybody, right? You got to the they were all going that way, and I was the only one going that way. <laughs> 97 yards? 97 yards. It was broke by 10. 97-yard interception return. Franklin County, Georgia. The Franklin County Lions. Tigers? Lions. Franklin County Lions. Uh, colors are that of Michigan State, green and white. Green right? and white, yeah. Man, I tell you what, that is a record I was really proud of as your son. Well, thank you. I was very proud of that record until it was broken. Then it's you know, yeah, old stuff. I'm surprised it wasn't broken way before then. Really? Do you, Do you know what's interesting? What is interesting was that when I played semi pro football with with Ryan Gregg, he was the left defensive end. I was right outside linebacker. The exact same play happened. He, the quarterback stepped back, and he looked to his left to throw a lateral. It was just a screen. I blitzed through to the outside to go get the quarterback, saw his hips and shoulders turn to the left. So I flare out to that. I was supposed to get the quarterback. That was my only job. Yeah. And I took a chance. If he had a pump faked it, he'd have ran down, this, down the – and I'd have been chewed out. <laughs> back, back then – when I played football, and I know when you did, the coaches could grab you by the face mask and jerk you around. What are you doing and cuss at you and tell you you're a piece of nothing and Kick your all that stuff. Nowadays, nowadays, you got to be careful with their feelings. Yeah. Okay. But, <laughs> but I responded to that kind of coaching. But anyway, I flared out and I reached out with one hand and I caught it and I ran about five yards in for a touchdown. Yeah. It wasn't 90s. It was. And you know what? After that happened and I was celebrating, I went back to the bench for the kickoff and I remembered your story. And I'm like, my dad did that like a thousand years ago. <laughs> and it was so interesting because we did the exact same thing for the most part. Isn't that amazing? You ran 97 yards and I ran about three. Well, that's okay. You never missed. <laughs> We're, we're the 100-yard family. The 100-yard family. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, yeah, so that was that was interesting. That was fun. And I remember, um, so let's go back to this really quick. So you, you knew you kept it under wraps. So when did you actually discover, and I think it was, I think it was Grandma Juanita told you herself, like she brought it up and told you about your biological dad. Is that right? Well, kind of somewhat. Uh, I didn't bother my mom, okay. but the, as we got older, we were already in Oklahoma. And I think you were in college and uh, Mandy was in high school. And and mom and I, uh, Connie and I were talking and she says, you really need to know a little bit about your medical background. You really need to do that. So we need to contact somebody and find out about that family and the history because you are getting older, old, old goat. And, uh, and so I said, uh, okay, let's do that. So I got on the phone. I looked in the phone book and, uh, uh, and I found out who the people were and I started making some phone calls. And so I contacted some folks there and, and I found out 
uh, a little bit about the family. Uh, I contacted my stepbrothers and sisters there. I step actually as a couple of sisters at first. And without going into a great bit of little detail, we scheduled a trip down there on, in September over a, a holiday weekend. And so with that thought in mind, they wanted us to come stay with them. And I said, no, we'll, we'll get a hotel because I knew these kind of things could be very, very good or it could be very, very, you know, distraught. And so we yeah. got a hotel and we, uh, we went down there and we visited and we were well received. So we, you know, it was, it was a good, it was a good meeting. And so they accepted and we, and, and I accepted them. They thought uh, in the back of their minds as it came out that they're, well, I'll tell you what they thought in just a moment. Their mom had already died just three months earlier than when I showed up. My biological dad died in November the 28th, my birthday in 1990. Wait, 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 wait. Your biological dad died on your birthday back in 1990? Yeah. On your birthday? On my birthday. Okay, so yeah. I'm one of those people, I don't believe in coincidences, but I also don't look for a demon behind every right. bush. I don't think every single thing means something, but this, it, do you find that a little uncanny? I think it's, I think that's, uh, you know, I think it is what it is. I don't think that's, I don't think. Well, I mean, think about it. How old was he when he died? I don't recall. Okay. So he had to have been in his probably a 70s or 80s. He could have died. 79 or Well, he could have died. 24 hours one way or the other, he doesn't die on your birthday. Well, that's right. I, I, I'm just no saying. significance that, in that myself. I, I know. I'm just pointing out that it's just it very is. interesting. It's easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> but... All right, so you find out he dies on your birthday yeah. in 1990. Okay, then what? Well, like I said, uh, we we met the family about three months after his wife and their mother passed away. In the back of their minds, I come to I come to realize they're thinking I'm there for a share of their estate. And he had, oh, he wow. was a council member, and he owned a store and a number of rental properties and. And so as soon as I realized that, we they were all there. And I, I said, listen, I need to say something. I know that your dad, my dad, had these assets. And I didn't realize that your mother had died three months ago. I said, but I want you to know right now that I'll sign any documents you guys prepare, but I'm not here for your stuff. I mean, yeah. your dad and your mom worked and built all of that for their lives and for their children, just like I do. And I'm not here to try to wreck that. I don't want it, not gonna challenge it. I know I could get a share of it, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here to expand my family and to maybe become yeah. a part of yours as much as that is possible. And if that's not possible, you know, I can live with that too. We lived with it for yeah. this long. I mean. Cause I I'm a disruptive factor to them. And, and I'm not doing the right thing if I want to continue in a situation where I'm disrupting the happiness of other people. I don't think God calls us to do that, whether I like it or not. I don't think he calls us to do that. So I'm not going to. Yeah. That was my story, and I'm sticking to it. It's a good but story. It was very interesting uh, now, to go down and meet them. 
Well, I've only known you for 50 years. And so I'm only 50 years old. With, yeah. Well, with that being said, I, it, it, it's, it's laughable to me and it, they didn't know, no, yeah, they don't know you from anybody, but from what I know, it's laughable that you would, uh, you would take anything from anyone, even if you had your last dime no. in your pocket, you're just that kind of person. You, you won't bend your, you just won't bend that no. way. And, and so, um, I'm very fortunate to have, I don't know if I inherited, I don't know if that's a gene or a, uh, as a product of the upbringing, I don't know what it is, but I'm very fortunate, to, uh, to have it and I didn't earn it. I, it's not like I, I'm a great person because I have it. Uh, I'm a great person because I do have it. I'm a, I'm a good man because I do have it. But here's the thing. It was it was ingrained in me from a young age yeah. being raised by you and mom. It was our culture. So, our it, family was. Culture. it was the culture of our family. Our family culture was God, America and family, period. God, family, country. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But that was kind of the three headed yeah. uh, principle, the pillars that we had in our yeah. family. And it just odd to me. I don't know. I guess I'm not surprised, but I never thought I'd see the day the United States would get to the point it is now with the disrespect of uh, not only the flag, but the idea of freedom of speech, the idea of all kinds. I don't want to get too, too political uh, here today, uh, but I just never thought it's a whole different world than when I grew up and when you guys were raising Mandy and I. So. It's just different. Now, I know that you started work when you were uh, when you were young. What what age did you start working? Well, like really working a job. Weren't you in high school? I was in uh, I was in probably the eighth grade, and this guy needed people, someone to deliver groceries for him, and on a bicycle that had a huge basket on it. It's like a mountain bike, and they'd have two or three bags of groceries in there. I could drive that bicycle. I love driving a bicycle. Didn't have one. I love riding that bicycle and delivering groceries and they'd give me a nickel or a dime. And man, that was a million dollars to me. I was living in the housing project. And so wait, you, you wait hold on a second. So they already had Amazon prime. No, back then? They had Amazon James. <laughs> <laughs> you were delivering packages in 19. I was, what year I was delivering 50s? probably in the sixties, early sixties. Yeah. I was delivering potatoes and onions and beans and milk. And eggs in that basket. Uh, people would pop the stores. The stores closed down now, but it was right across the street from uh, uh, Grant's Park Zoo, very famous zoo in Atlanta. And uh, I'd go down there after school, and a lot of times I'd just go straight there from school. They'd have orders, and everybody knew that I'd get there after school. After a little while, they got to know that, and I'd deliver the yeah. groceries. So I don't know how they paid for it. Sometimes they gave me cash and paid for it, and I took it back. Well. Well, were there McDonald's around back then? I never, never heard of a McDonald's at that point in time. Or as, as mom would call it, McDonald's. McDonald's, no. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it McDonald's must have been around, but, you know, again, I was living, I grew up in the housing projects. And so we, we didn't yeah. have the opportunity to go to McDonald's or Wendy's or anywhere like that. In fact, we got most of our food at a handout station down the street. Stand in line to get hoop cheese and powdered milk and powdered eggs and spam. I ain't eating no spam what, no more. What, what kind of cheese? Hoop, hoop, hoop. cheese? What I is that? Is that government it comes cheese? in a big round 
circle like that's about that thick. And it's government cheese. I suppose it's cheap cheese, but I don't think it is either, but I just don't know. Uh, but that's what so they call it. What, what is the difference between government cheese and just normal cheese you buy at the store? Is there a difference? Yeah, or for is me, it, it was it's just cheese they made. For me, it was free. Well, that's what I mean. I is know. is there a difference between the free cheese and the Tillamook I have no cheese? idea. I'm sure Tillamook cheese had things that made it more flavorful. Uh, but this oh. was just cheap old cheese, I guess. I don't know. It's what we had yeah. to eat. So there's a story I heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard about this story that you were standing in line for government cheese and you were in high school. <laughs> and you were kind of hiding and your buddies walked by. Some of the kids from high school walked by and kind of snickered about yeah. it. And now if this is not a true story, tell me because, you know, you know how oral tradition is. And that you nearly got a tear in your eye. You were so embarrassed. You made a decision at that point that your family would never go without. Is that true or did that, or, or are parts of that? Parts of it is true. I don't remember the guys. I just remember myself looking around and having to do this every couple of Saturdays. And I made this, I said to myself, if I ever get out of this situation, we're in, and it was a situation that couldn't be helped. My dad was disabled. My mom was disabled. And there were seven of us kids. There was no other things for them to do. They weren't educated past second, third grade. So I understood the situation. I knew the situation, uh, what it was. And I also knew they were doing the very best they can with that situation. So I didn't complain about the situation. But what I thought was if I ever get out of this situation, if I get old enough to be able to do something about it, I'll never do this again. And that was my mindset. And from that point forward, I would sit out on the back porch watching them build Interstate 85. They got it built. And I saw all these big old 18-wheelers going down the road with J.B. Hunt's name on it, somebody else's name on it, someone else's name on it. I said, one of these days, I'm going to get out of this thing, and I'm going to do something like that. And, you know, but it was just a driving force for me to get out of that situation yeah. and go do something different. I didn't know what different looked like. I had no idea. Well, didn't, didn't you guys, didn't you guys' house burn down? Yeah. Uh, we had moved out of the housing project to live with grandma, uh, my dad's mother in, uh, up in Tacoa, Georgia. And, uh, mm -hmm. that house did catch on fire. It was a very, very old house. And I'm sure it had probably aluminum wiring to it, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so the house you guys lived in in Atlanta, uh, I had heard that when the old Fulton County Stadium was there, the house was torn down basically, right. and it was it would have been in the parking lot of Fulton. That's County exactly Stadium. right. That was before we ended up into the um, into the housing project. It, it oh, was a, okay. it was a standalone house. I don't remember much about it except that you know there was a yard to play in, and there was there was no fences. Housing project got a fence around every 10 square feet where you lived. <laughs> that was the yard. Yeah, yeah. Keep your kids in their cage. Yeah, keep everybody in their cage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So I know you went, you started selling toilets at, um, uh, what was the hardware store that in Livonia? Well, it was, it Livonia? It was in Livonia. Uh, uh, it was called Harbin Wholesale. And Mr. Harbin That's has right. since passed. But I did. I started selling 
yeah. heating, electrical, lighting, and plumbing. After I left that, I jokingly told people that my last job was selling commodes. <laughs> and they did that. They laughed. And I said, well, listen, everybody's got to have two or three. <laughs> hey, what do you use? What else do you use more than twice a day? Yeah. Kitchen sink. Or for folks like you, eight times a day. Yeah. What have you? What have yeah. you? You know? That's right. Yeah, so you, you did that, and that's when you got into life insurance, right? Well, uh, you left that, and you got into life well, insurance. Well, the story goes like this, that, that I made an agreement with a gentleman that if I helped him build his business to a certain degree, that he would make me some sort of a partner. We got to that point. Nothing was in writing, but because I've always, and I'm still that way today, if you tell me something, to me, it's gospel. I don't have to have it yeah. in writing. Now, a lot of things yeah. you do have to have in writing, and I and I do that. But if someone tells me that this yeah. is the way it's going to be, then and I tell them that way, that's the way it's going to be. And I just take everybody for the word for it. But uh, I left his – I kind of got disappointed in there, and I started looking for another job. There were four or five other plumbing companies and uh, sold the same thing that we did that offered me the job anytime I wanted it. And uh, mm -hmm. so I was the strongest competition because I, I worked hard. I mean, I'm a daylight to dark working kind of fella. And uh, so I'd been out with my brother Melvin cutting wood that day. And I was sitting on the front porch drinking some ice water. Connie was with me. And this guy walks up and he says, hey, can I talk to you about joining the Woodman? I says, wait a minute. That sounds like a club, to cut, club wanting to cut wood. I said, I don't want to do that. But he talked to me about it. And, uh, you know, I said, well, I don't, don't really want to do that. And, uh so I said, but I'll listen to you. you. You can't close your patent office down. You can't be closed mind to different ideas. And I've always been that way. Mm -hmm. And so I listened to him and I said, no, wait a minute. This is not exactly what I thought it was going to be. This is a little bit more professional. I, I'm kind of liking what I'm seeing here. And so I did. I went to work for him selling insurance. That was 1977. Wow. Well, you work you work for that same company, Woodman of the World, out of Omaha, Nebraska, for how many years? Right at thirty like, years. Jeez. Well, it might have been thirty-two, but who's counting? When you hit age sixty, and you've got thirty years in retirement with them, uh, there's some stipulations in your contracts that they that I had to change over to, and I wasn't willing to make those changes. So I said, I'll just take my retirement yeah. and and go my own way. And yeah. so, yeah. That's why. Well, so, so about thirty years ago, um, you were still doing some insurance as well. But about thirty years ago, you created a company called American Family Estate Preservation. Yeah. Tagline is "We'll be there when you need us that's the most." Right. Now, that's a estate planning company um, that writes wills, levy trusts, powers of attorney, et cetera, to make sure people's assets don't go right. through probate and they can pass them on to their kids, grandkids, whoever they want. Uh, it's my understanding immediately, uh, fairly immediately, privately, tax-free, and uh, and uh, well, quickly, quickly yeah. very quickly, without probate, no probate, no probate, yeah, without probate. When did you decide? To, why did you decide to create that company? That seems, I mean, insurance is used to protect right. assets, but estate plans, if they're written correctly, are designed to preserve. So it seems like a a really good yeah, fit. How did you move from life insurance and protecting uh, assets mm -hmm. 
to now preserving them, not just for today, but for generations. How did, like, why did you make that switch? What caused that? It was a uh, significant emotional experiences. That's an acronym for C. All right. As you well know, uh, I had start, I was sending my class to attorneys to do the will and whatever they needed to do. And, and my agency was the first agency for that company to create $50 million worth of life insurance that year. And that's how we were doing it. And uh, so I found out after the fact that my clients that were buying these products from me were actually turned around buying it from the attorney's friend, his golfing buddy, his brother-in-law, whoever it was, nothing I could do about it. But that was what was happening. It was going out the back door. And then I found out one day that this lady who had no living relatives, uh, she wanted a will. She couldn't get out of bed. The attorney, the attorney came down. He wrote the will. She passed away and it went through probate. And all of a sudden I'm saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been hearing about this thing called probate, but I've really never witnessed it. And so I got involved in there. And so we had people challenging her will. And I know she was the last living survivor. And it, as, it, as the dust settled, uh, two other people got a portion of her uh, estate and one get, and the church got whatever was left. And she wanted it all to go to the church. And so when I was going through that situation, I realized this is wrong. This is not right. And I'm a do right kind of guy. So I started looking and searching and I spent a year eating lunch with an attorney, a CPA, insurance agent. I fancied myself as somewhat of an estate planner at that point in time. Every year on Tuesday or Monday at lunch, we met, we come up with what we have here and, and the company that we have today. I named it American Family Estate Preservation. American, because I bleed red, white, and blue. You can burn a flag, but not while I'm around. I don't know what I'd do about it if I was, if it was to happen today, but that's my, that's my strong uh, urge. Uh, family, because that's the nuts and bolts of America. And a state, that's their life savings. Some life savings are here and some life savings are there. But it's their life savings and their life savings is very important to each and every one of them, no matter which side of the spectrum they're on. And preserving that estate for their family was our goal. And so I created the company. I wasn't, I was, I was, I wasn't even the officer of the company. We had a president, which was the attorney. The vice president was the uh, accountant. And he was also the secretary. And I was, I was another person on the team. And uh, so that's how we started the company. Yeah. And you guys have done amazing work. Well, thank you. There, over the course of 30 years, you guys have written, I would probably say countless uh, numbers of living trust in which people have passed away with those trusts and their families have navigated through those waters of grief uh, as they normally should and normally would, but they did not have to worry about the legalities of how the estate right. is settled. Right. And that's a, that is a price you can't put on a time of grief and trauma that exactly. way. They don't have to worry about all that stuff. Exactly. And so, yeah, wonderful just applaud. Uh, I'm a part of that company, obviously. Um, and so I am a little bit biased, but we've got hundreds of clients uh, who are not biased. Right. They don't know our family, but they've lived through 
uh, a good things, the good products we provide. Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So again, well, I've got one last question for you. We're pressing in up on about 52 minutes. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and start wrapping this up with the most important question. Uh, I'm going to ask you today and the whole purpose of this grit podcast, as we hear from men and women, both about what it means to be a man of grit, G R I T genuine, respectful, intentional, and trained men. And so in your opinion and all of your experience, everything you've been through all the way from growing up in the projects, so to speak, your house burning down, working, starting at eighth grade on through to uh, going into the Navy, getting out of the Navy, uh, working at Harbin, um, going through uh, life insurance, doing that for 30 some odd years, creating your own company. Your resume is just unbelievably incredible. I've got basically two last questions for you. One, what do you attribute to the work ethic you have? What is maybe the one thing that happened to your life? I know it's a bunch of things that come together, but if you could point out one significant thing, typically it's something painful for guys, but not always. But what is the one thing that lit the pilot light and took it from a pilot light to an inferno that I'm going to work hard, I'm going to be gritty, and I'm never going to accept failure. I'm going to just keep going till I get it. What is the one thing that snapped and sent you in that direction? I would, if you could I would it. boil it all down to my mother. She, she worked every time that she could work. She was disabled, couldn't work. She had seven kids to take care of. Her dad was in, uh, he was hurt. He couldn't work. And, and my situation of being in the housing project, my desire to do more, do better. And, uh, and she, she had me working uh, and she found me jobs because she knew I wanted to work. I liked to work. And so she cultivated that and told me and helped me to learn and to know that when you work, everything doesn't always work out in your favor, but everything always does work out. And so uh, whether you do something and you work hard and you accomplish something, uh, whether you get paid for it or not is the most important part. The most important part is that you tried. You put your left foot in front of the right and then the right foot in front of the left and you started making tracks and you do something. Even if it's wrong, it can turn out right. But but don't do any wrong things. Uh, you know, what saying that. She said, always, and my dad said, keep your nose clean. Now, I really didn't know what that meant. I, you know, keep my nose clean. But that's an old saying that says, hey, always do the right thing and you'll always receive the right reward. And things will be better for you than if you don't. And so I would I would say that my work ethic came from my mom. Every Friday night, all the brothers and sisters go to bed. I knew on Friday night, we're going to get that mop out and mop those floors. They're all tile floors upstairs and downstairs. And, and we had to do that, clean out the yard, do these things. And the reward was always a, a ice cream that I would go over to a store called the Big Apple. Doesn't ex doesn't exist anymore. And and, and we'd bring that home and she and I would share that. That was our reward. And so I would imagine it goes back to then. Okay. Great. Thank you. One last question. The men in today's society, they don't know how to be men. 
we're the this country is struggling with not only men not even knowing what it means to be a man anymore but this country is struggling yeah. there's a lot of us who look around those of us who are men we know what that means we know what that's about and we are dialed into it and we're stubborn about it all the men who are growing up confused especially young men i talk to young men all the time what does it mean to be a man they have no idea they don't they don't even know what it means in fact they're afraid to speak up and be a man. Yeah. Everything inside of them says, you got to act on this. You got to say something. And they wilt and, and they won't stand up for themselves. They won't say when, wait a second, I don't think that's right. Yeah. Because they're so afraid of being beat about the head and shoulders for being, uh, 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 what do you call it? Misogynistic. There's all these different names. I'm not saying that stuff doesn't mm -hmm. exist, but men do not have, know how to be men. What would your advice be to men growing up, young men growing up, and even adult men who don't really get or understand, not because they're stupid, they just don't know. What does it mean in your eyes, from your perspective, what does it mean to be a man that this country needs today? What does that mean? Have the confidence in your own beliefs. But first, you have to know what those beliefs are. You have to find yourself. You have to identify who you are, where you came from, and what do you really believe is right. You got to have a foundation there. And a lot of these guys don't have a foundation, so you have to create your own. But you have to identify exactly who you are, what you believe, and then stand up for it. But at the same time, keep your belief system open that if someone else comes in and they can add to your solid belief. And this belief, we have to be careful. That belief could be a woke belief. It could be a wimpy belief. I don't know, but you have to have solid beliefs of who you are, what you think, and what uh, what what can you live with if you did made a decision? Uh, I don't know really how to say that uh, other than just to use that, but I guess be comfortable in who you are. And then... The, the rubber meets the road when you run into a situation and someone else is doing something that you know is wrong. You know that's not right. And God gives us that innate ability to recognize that, I believe. And if you know that that's not right, have the courage to stand up and say, whoa, wait a minute. I don't think that's the right thing to do. I teach my grandkids, the ones I'm close enough to to be able to teach them this, that if you're in school, and you got this big old dude over here saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And it's not the right thing to do. Someone needs to stand up and say, no, I don't think that's what we need to do. In fact, I shared this with you, Jamie. Don't, don't follow him. But if you stand up and say, that's not right, we should not go do that. You're going to find out a lot of his followers are going to leave him and come to you. Because they want a righteous leader. They want a leader that has the, the courage and the gumption. Uh, and, and to stand up and say, no, that's not right. I don't want to do that. And I'm not going to do that. And when you do that and you take a position of that, you're going to find a lot of other people are going to agree with you because people want to follow the right track. But people actually want to follow somebody. A large group of people, they want to follow somebody. And they're looking for it. And I think that's why the gangs have flourished the way they are. People are looking for a family, a belonging, a club, or something like that. But they're really looking for an ideal. 
They're looking for someone to follow that they can trust, that they believe is going down the right path, because that's what they want to do. Be comfortable in your own self. Be comfortable with the decisions you make. And 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 don't don't be intimidated when someone else challenges your position. You tried to intimidate me at the beginning of this, telling me why I cannot have five teams. But I'm not intimidated. I like my five teams. I might have six tomorrow. You can't ever tell. Well, you are very stubborn, so I'll give you that. And uh, and thanks for that gene, by the way. That's really helped my marriage. Uh, <laughs> well, I also gave you the gene uh, to have empathy for others. Yeah. Listen to them. They may have a good point that you can pick up and use. But yeah. make the decision. Like- Always make the decision, even though you listen to others, what's best for you and your family. Yeah. Well, you know, one of, one of the things I've realized over the years is that people really want two things. They want something to believe in and they want someone to believe right. in. And a lot of times when men are off track of what it means to be a real man, one of those two things or both are missing. Yeah. They don't have something to believe in or they have someone to believe in, but they don't have something about that person to believe. There's no ideals mm-hmm. or they're the wrong ideals. Right. It really takes both of those yeah. things. And so, yeah. Well, look, hey, thank you for your wisdom uh, in this episode. Would you, you wouldn't mind coming back, would you? We're going to have you back again. Is that okay? Oh, I'd love to come back. I appreciate that. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so I think we're going to go to Oklahoma. I'd love to bring some the gear down and we can go live straight from Oklahoma. I love it. I think at the office. Yeah. That'd be great. It would be it? awesome. So we don't, we don't have to do it this way. We can be right here. I love it. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, don't, don't wait awesome. for them to come back. Just come back anytime you want to. Well, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Dad. I appreciate it. Uh, you're, you're great. I can't imagine having a different dad. Um, there's not a single thing in my childhood I regret. And um, so, and I'm not just saying that, you know, I've told you that a thousand times before, but you're a great man. You're my best friend. And um, I look up to you in every single way. Love you. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Thank you. I consider it an honor to be here. And I hope that this broadcast will help some people find their way. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Thanks. Thank you. Listen, we need you. We need to get the word out to men. We need to motivate and encourage other guys just like you to be the men we were always destined to be. Listen, we can do it. We need each other and we can make a difference in this world, but we can't do it alone. Like and subscribe and share this podcast with everybody that you can so that we can reach as many men as we can. I'll see you guys next time.